The History of College Football is a podcast dedicated to preserving the college football gridiron memories from years gone by. Please feel free to visit our website at historyofcollegefootball.com. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson, and I will take you down a gridiron memory lane. The national champions, the teams, the rivalries, the conferences, the Heisman winners, the rankings. Today, we discuss the dynasty, which is the dominance of the Princeton Tigers, or the Princeton football team of the era, in the 1800s. When you think of complete and utter dominance in college football, what comes to mind? Well, in your focus of the 1800s, maybe Brown and Penn, because they had John Heisman as a player. Yale, they had Walter Camp, and they dominated the late 1880s and early 1890s, and they were packed with that iconic 1888 Penn, they had George Woodruff, and dominated from 1893 to 1897, where in a span of five years, the Quakers lost one game and won three national championships in four seasons. But for a sustained period of time, no school in the 1800s, and dare I say, no school ever had the complete and utter dominance of the Princeton football team, the Princeton Tigers, and what they showed in the 1800s over a span of three decades. Now, Princeton claims 28 national titles from 1869 to 1950, but we're talking about the 1800s, a 30-year span, with Princeton claimed 20 national championships between 1869 and 1899. This is the story of the Princeton Tigers in the 1800s. The Princeton Tigers won eight national championships in nine years. Now, this was from 1869 to 1879, and there was no college football in 1871. Let's extend that, extrapolate a little bit. They won 11 national championships in the first 12 seasons of college football, 16 in the first 20 seasons of college football, and going up through 1869 to 1899, they won 20 national championships in the first 30 seasons of college football from 1869 to 1899. Again, there was no college football in 1871. So let's trace through Princeton's journey in the 1800s in college football. And we start at the beginning, 1869, if you will, the first national championship. We all know the story. It was the birth of college football, the first football game ever played in college football occurred on November 6th, 1869, when Rutgers defeated Princeton 6-4 in New Brunswick, New Jersey. What did this game first look like? And well, before we get to that, Princeton and Rutgers are mere 20 miles apart. And in 1866, Princeton's baseball team had defeated Rutgers 40-2. to Well, in 1869, a Rutgers student, his name was William J. Leggett, he wrote a letter to Princeton issuing a challenge, really a form of retribution for that loss. Leggett suggested a series of three games, and by the way, only two were played, of a new sport called football. 17-year-old Princeton student William S. Gunmere accepted. So, William J. Leggett captained the Rutgers team, 
and William S. Gunmeyer, captain, Princeton's team. So back to what did the game look like, this first game of college football? Well, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on November 6, 1869, in front of roughly 100 fans, college football was born. It was New Brunswick, New Jersey, in a field that is currently a parking lot behind the college gymnasium on the campus of Rutgers. And back to the game. There were 25 players on each team, and they played with a round ball, a heavy ball, a soccer ball. The rules, which were Rutgers rules, dictated no passing and no running, and the players were only allowed to kick or hit the ball to get it over a goal line, which was located 100 yards from the other goal line. Rutgers was smaller and quicker. Princeton, larger, more hostile, if you will. And each score, which was one point, was awarded when the ball was kicked over the opponent's goal line. Well, Rutgers got the ball first. Yardage was earned with these short kicks and the battling of the ball that occurred behind and really an interference of players that were kicking and screaming and battling. Rutgers scores first. Princeton ties the game. Rutgers goes up 4-2. to two. Princeton ties it 4-4. to four. Rutgers scores two more goals. And finally, Rutgers defeated Princeton 6-4. to four. The game, it lasted over five hours. So a week after the first game ever in the history of college football, a second game in the history of college football was played. This one at Princeton. This one, Princeton defeated Rutgers 8 to nothing. Why? Because the rules for the game differed. The teams were following rules that negated Rutgers' speed. And the result, again, Princeton won 8 to nothing. So Princeton finished the season a pedestrian 1-1, one one, but won the national championship. 1870, the second national championship, and there were three teams in college football. Princeton was 1-0, and they defeated Rutgers 6-2. The third team, by the way, that was Columbia. Now, in 1871, there was no college football, so now we're at 1872 and 1873. Why am I talking about both years together? Well, Princeton won the national championships each year, winning one game, going 1-0, in a field of four teams, Princeton, Yale, Rutgers, Columbia. They went on to win national championships in 1874, 1875, 1877, 1878, and 1879. That's eight national championships in nine years. Recall, 1871, there was no college football season. Now, by 1878, there was now seven college football teams, Princeton, Yale, Columbia, but there was also Penn, there was Rutgers, and Harvard and Brown. The 1878 team, they were national champions. They were 6-0, and they shut out all but one team, Penn, who they beat 2-1. to one. So before we move on, this team had won eight national championships in nine seasons. So what happened in that one season where they did not win the national championship? Well, that season was 1876. And to explain it, I have to go back two years, on October 23rd, actually, 1874, where an oval leather ball that kind of resembled what they used in rugby replaced the heavier round ball in the Harvard-McGill game back in 1874. And then, not all the games first adopted the ball, but it was slowly edging its way into college football. Now, the old ball was round and, as I mentioned, heavy, and it was hard to throw. The new oval ball? Well, it wasn't. And because of that, things like laterals and pitches eased their way into the world of college football. Now, fast forward two years. By 1876, the year Princeton did not win the national championship. Here's what happened. Princeton was 3-0. It was November 3rd, 1876. They had been unchallenged up to that point in the season, winning by scores of 6-0, 3-0, and 6-0. And they faced Yale. And for the first time, they faced that new oval ball. They had never used it before. They were unfamiliar. They really didn't know how to kick it. So that day, 
Yale defeated Princeton two to nothing. And in that game against Yale, by the way, Princeton for the first time broke out their school colors of black shirts and an orange P on front. Anyway, long story short, that was the year they did not win the national championship. Now, back to our story. 1880 and 1881, they won the national championship. 11 national championships now in the first 12 seasons in college football. The 1880 season, Princeton added black stripes to the uniform. Kind of an interesting side note. Now, 1882 rolls around. They didn't win the national championship that year, but I mention it because this kicker, John Hexall, kicks a 65-yard field goal, a record that still stands for Princeton today. Back to our story. The 1884 team. 1885, 1886 team, all won national championships. The 1884 team went 9 0 1. And that included a 140 to nothing defeat of Lafayette in week six. They tied Yale in the last game of the season. The 1885 team, national championship team, they were 9 0. This was a powerful team. They shut out six of the nine teams they faced. Now, scoring was different by then, so please listen to what I'm about to say. They set school records that still stand today. Most points in a season, 637. Most points per game, 71. Average margin of victory, 68. They opened the season with a win over Stevens, 94 to nothing, followed by wins over Stevens, again, 76 to nothing. By week three, they defeated Penn, 57 to nothing. And by week four, another blowout of Penn, 80 to nothing. Now, back to our story. Princeton won the national championship in 1886 and 1889. By 1889, now there were 28 teams in college football, 28. The 1889 Princeton football team, national champions, were 10-0. They outscored opponents 484 to 29. Let's talk about this team for a moment. In the last game of the season, they handed Walter Camp his first loss at Yale, 10 to nothing. See, Yale had gone 13 to 0 the season before that was the iconic 1888 season and then up to that point in the season in 1889 Yale was 16-0 heading into the final weekend well like I mentioned Princeton defeated Yale 10 to nothing on two second half punts that were recovered in the end zone and one of them was uh by the Princeton legend Hector Cowan who's playing in his final game The College Football Hall of Fame recognizes this game as one of the greatest of all time. Well, when the first All-American team came out, it was this season of 1889. There were 27 teams back then, and the All-American team, they had 11. Five of the 11 were from Princeton. The five Princeton All-Americans, who comprised about half of the first ever All-American team, were Edgar Allan Poe, the nephew of the namesake Edgar Allan Poe, the famous writer, Roscoe Channing, William George, Hector Cowan, and Knowlton Ames. Let's talk about Knowlton Ames, who played from Princeton from 1886 to 1889. Now, you want a player who has shown dominance? Consider this. To this day, Ames, and that's back in 1889, still holds nearly all of Princeton's scoring records. In his career, Ames scored, get ready for this, 730 points, 62 touchdowns, 176 points after touchdowns against Penn. Ames scored 60 points. Ames led Princeton to a 35-3-1 record. Now consider back then, the football field, by the way, was 110 yards long, not 100. And it is said these teams, these late 1880 teams of Princeton, 
with a first run, the power sweep. Now, Nolton Ames went on to coach at Purdue. And for two seasons, from 1891 to 1892, the Purdue Boilermakers were 12-0. They won every game. And in those two seasons, as head coach, Coach Nolton Ames' version of the Boilermakers were undefeated and untied. And they were never even challenged, as they won by an average score of 48 to nothing in 1891 and 40-3 in 1892. Now, back to our story. The 1893 team were national champions. They went 11-0 with eight shutouts. This is a team that ended Yale's 37-game winning streak by defeating Yale 6 to nothing. Let's talk about the 1896 team, national champions. 10-0-1, nine shutouts, and they outscored opponents 299-10. And how about the 1898 Princeton team, national champions, 11-0-1 with 11 shutouts. The only team to score against them was Army who tied Princeton 5-5 in Week 10. So in summary, from 1869 to 1899, in the 1800s, and remember, there was no football in 1871, so for 30 years, Princeton went 209-18-11. This amounts to winning 90.1% of their games. So when you think of dominance in college football, what comes to mind? Try to find a more dominant team than the Princeton Tigers of the 1800s. Eight national championships in a nine-season span. Eleven national championships in a 12-season span. Sixteen national championships in a 20-season span. And 20 national championships in the first 30 seasons of college football from 1869 to 1899. This was the story of the Princeton Tigers of the 1800s, a dominance like no other. Dare I say, we may never see the likes of it again. Thank you for listening to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson. Join us every Tuesday and Saturday for a new episode.